this is kind of where the transition from SDR to CDR kind of comes in because the sales development representative is focused on those selling relationships, just getting to the sale, getting to the yes. Whereas a community development relationship, uh, community development representative is focused on, um, you're kind of like a community manager in a way. It's like a blending of the roles, you know, but some things that you could practically do are, you know, this goes back to your active listening as well. Um, remembering and understanding where people are at in their journeys and being able to provide resources, pieces of content that help them out with where they're at. And I think that that really helps a lot. And I think that goes a long ways for people is, wait, you remember that I'm going through this right now, or you remember that I'm doing this, or this is kind of like my initiative and you went so far as to send me this. I think that goes a long way, but it's always elevating the person in the role first and foremost. Hey, welcome to Beginner Maps, where we showcase stories of scary career pivots so that you get the courage, path, and role models to carve out a career that you love. Today, we have Ben Rajir with us. He's a sales development representative turned community development representative at Comsor. We'll get into what this change in role means a little later in the interview. But I first met Ben on the most unique sales call that I've ever been a part of because of what happened actually after the call. So Ben reached out to me to demo Comsource product when I was working, like it was about two years ago, I was working at DataQuest and the company didn't invest in Comsource, but Ben invited me to join this Slack community, that is community club. And we've had multiple back and forths around non-Comsource related topics since then. Now, fast forward to today, and we are recording this interview and this podcast together. I also know that Ben excels at building these kind of relationships with his sales leads because Max Speed, episode number three, has the exact identical story of going from just a sales lead for Ben to now becoming his friend. Moreover, Mac Redden, the CEO of Comsor, who we had on the pod on episode number six, mentioned a very cool story where one customer specifically said that they'll only purchase from Ben. That is insane. <laughs> so Ben, I am super excited to talk to you today to talk about your journey to the world of community-led sales. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And again, Nitesh, it's great to be reconnected with you. Uh, you and Piyush here as well. I'm so excited. This is my very first uh, podcast experience or experience doing anything like this. So um, I'm excited. Let's do it. Love it. Yeah, I feel so privileged because I get to be the first one to record your story and uh, share it with the world. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so Ben, uh, do you remember like the, uh, the anecdote that I mentioned with Mac where he said that uh, one of the customers specifically asked that they purchase only from you? Do you remember that story? <laughs> I do vaguely. I, what happened? I do there? very vaguely. Uh, yeah, so it was just um, you know it was a, another interaction through the community club, um, which is Comsor's community for community professionals, and uh, it was just an interaction that I had through the community. And um, you know, it's it's all about this idea of building a relationship first, and um, and providing value uh, and seeking revenue as a secondary priority essentially so why um, do you so, yeah, think it was that just a, person like oh. you know insisted upon purchasing from you uh you know you kind of kind of <laughs> it's kind of difficult to talk about yourself but i like to um i think i like to think that one of my strengths is active listening and um just not talking as much and not 
pressing people for for answers or for thoughts or things like that. But just really, really listening to people's experiences. And um, I, I'm not sure exactly if that was the case, but that's that's what I imagine. And I think that's kind of what uh, what I'm thinking. So that is so cool. And yeah, I, I don't think anybody has heard of anything like this because before, uh, because customers usually, you know, when they've made the decision to purchase, they just want to purchase. They don't really care about who's selling to them. So uh, this is this kind of relationship building feels very unique to me. Do you do you feel then that you are doing something different with relationship building or you focus more on it than what is commonly done in the sales industry? Yeah, so this is actually um, this is actually something that my team and I are heavily leaning into right now. Um, and as we discuss community-led sales and you know essentially the the future of it, I hope to talk a little bit more about like what that actually looks like in the practical, the day to day. But that's really you know this is the this is the beauty of community. Um, honestly, it's um, if you're a community-led salesperson and you have the right perspective, you're looking for ways to elevate people in their roles uh, first and foremost. You have the mindset of providing value now and perhaps. Revenue could be the fruit of this a year down the road or six months down the road, even two years down the road. Um, but if revenue doesn't come from it, then, you know, hey, you have a fantastic friendship or relationship. So it's really a win-win uh, situation. And I and I, I think it's cool because this is, you know, this is the, probably the best use case of that, 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 uh, that idea right there because you know, when you were at DataQuest, you, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a purchasing relationship, but here we are, you know, almost two years later, having a great relationship. We've taught, we've kept in touch, right? We're doing this podcast now. Um, I've had situations where it's the, you know, it's the opposite and you have um, a purchasing relationship and it's great and it's a win-win and, and uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's an awesome mindset to have. So. Love this, love this. So, uh, you know, I've, always been afraid of sales personally because I feel like I'm just not sort of the sort of the person who can convince someone to buy something but with with you like you make it feel like your sales process is just like building relationships and having maybe a great conversation listening is that is that right (laughs) yeah yeah I think that that is that is very accurate building relationships with potential prospects before ever asking for meetings or demos um, and you know, we we did operate in more of like a traditional sales method um, before we kind of pivoted into this uh, community-led aspect. Um, happy to jump into that a little a little bit more. Yeah, but, tell me, tell me about that. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, like like I was saying, community-led sales. It's um, and I I think actually uh, I I think Mac posted this this definition of community-led sales on, on LinkedIn, but essentially a way of doing sales with a focus on authenticity, relationship building, and long-term compounding through connection and community, uh, community building, sorry, rather than cold email and aggressive persistence. Uh, so I, I had that pulled up just so I could read it word for word so I didn't butcher it. But, um, you know, this, uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, this, um, the traditional sales method, um, so I, I made a post actually on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was reading the Salesforce state of sales report, and there was a section in there that said only 28% of sales professionals expected to hit quota in 2022. And, uh, you know, it's like, that's, that's a crazy stat. 
that's wild to think about. And you, and it kind of leads you to think like, what's the deal here? What's going on? What are we, are we doing something wrong as an industry? Right. And so, um, you know, as, as a sales team, I think I can speak on behalf of my, my sales team and, you know, even kind of as a company, we were, um, a bit disheartened uh, by the assertive methods of traditional sales and almost this disturbing presence that you have as a as an SDR. You kind of feel bad for being pushy, but you know you remind yourself that everyone else is doing this, and so it has to be the way. And you know, commission kind of makes you feel a little bit better about doing it, right? It's you know you, you think this is the way. This is how it's always been, right? Um, but we kind of had this realization as an entire company and team in Portugal that, um, you know, community had become this siloed pillar of the organization. And we, um, you know, and here we are, you know, we, we proclaim community led. And so something kind of had to change um, as a team. And so we laid the, um, you know, the, the blueprints and the, the foundations for doing this in a, a more community led um, aspect, you know, prioritizing prioritizing the relationship building before um, before getting to the the sales conversation, right? So, right, this is this is very interesting. Um, if I'm someone who wants to be in sales or community that sales in particular, I'll be interested to uh, you know understand whether sales is for me. Like that is the first step. So, to that person, can you explain or just tell us what would they have to do uh, to, if, if they had your job for a day, what would they have to do to not suck at it? <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> um, yeah, good way to put it. I think... Um... I, you know, I always come back to active listening. I think that's such a, a critical piece to it and being able to, to speak back to people what, what you're hearing, what the problem is. Um, I think active listening, but also asking good questions is very underrated. Um, ask great questions and get to the, you know, what is the foundation of, of the problem you're having? Um, never be afraid to ask more questions and more questions. So I think that that mm. always leads to the heart of the issue is asking great questions. So that's okay. probably one and, of two things. Um, yeah. And uh, tell me a little bit about active listening. I've heard of this term a lot of time, but um, I'm not sure if I get it. You said that active listening it involves also um, repeating back what the person said, but what does it actually look like? I'm, I'm sure that just repeating the words of someone right back to them, it's not that simple as that, is it? Yeah, uh, no, so I, I think it can be in some situations, but I think for the most part, a lot of what it is, is um, uh, being able to synthesize and process what somebody is saying and then be able to regurgitate it back to them um, just to make sure that it makes sense. Like, is this, is this what you're asking? Is this what you're saying? Um, and, you know, if the person affirms, then, then you've gotten to the, the root of the issue. But, uh, but, but people, I think what they, they want to know that you're processing and um, being, you're able to summarize what, what, they're, what they're talking about. So, um, and I think, I think there's also this aspect of giving people eye contact, you know, even if it's on Zoom, giving people eye contact, not being distracted, not typing, not writing, things like that. I think that's, I think it's also very key. I think it's a way you can kind of separate yourself too from the crowd, so. It makes a lot of sense, yeah. I mean, um, I am guilty of often, you know, uh, just typing on a separate window when I'm on a Zoom meeting with somebody. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess I wouldn't make a very good sales representative then. <laughs> I think we all are at some point. We all are. Yeah. 
yeah okay um and and uh how do you handle no's when uh you hear them because inevitably i guess there's a, it's about hearing more no's than yes so um mm-hmm. how do you do that uh you, you know just like the previous question it actually goes back to asking great questions if it's a no then well can you tell me a little bit more about like what's your uh why 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 you're not looking for this or why um why this isn't a problem um, another way of handling it is, you know, I've talked with with several, you know, or multiple professionals in your industry, and typically they, you know, they're struggling with this, you know, A, B, C, D, E, and F, right? Is that the same for you? And asking open open ended questions to people go a um, it goes a long ways. So, um, mm. and, and you know, um, there's there's yeah. instances where people keep pushing back, and it's not the you know it's not the right time, but um and again this it's kind of it's kind of tricky because um you know the, this kind of there's a little bit of a gray area between going back to that very assertive uh method of uh of talking to people and getting to the yes essentially um where yeah whereas you know in community-led sales or this idea of community-led sales um you know maybe I, can i provide you some value can i can i um, can I invite you to this event? Can I provide you with this resource here first? And then, you know, if it makes sense, um, or if you bring mm-hmm. it up, then we'll have this kind of sales conversation. So, mm-hmm. so you, you're saying that you are not being aggressive uh, on your sales call. Like that is the community-led sales way. Don't be aggressive because that is typically what people assume a salesperson does. And, you know, that is the image that we have from, I don't know, movies, TV shows that salespeople are just ruthless and they can convince you to buy um, uh, buy water in a flood or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, um, I, I think, I think it, your perspective needs to be, and it, it all goes back to how can I elevate this person in their role? Do I really want to sell someone a product that isn't going to elevate them? In the, like they're not going to use uh, that they're going to get in trouble for spending money on because they don't use it on. Um, it, it's just, it's a lot of, it's, it's being a good human being, <laughs> you know, you're not pushing people into these, these, uh, these situations or these sales where it's not going to benefit them in their role. So I think that's, that's also a key point is, um, is this going to elevate the, this person in their role? Is it going to make them look good in, you know, at their company? Um, is it going to make them do their job better? Um, because that that has rippling effects to their community members and, uh, you know, their company as well. So, um, it, you know, it's, um, yeah, that's yeah, that's about it. So. <laughs> wow, um, you make it sound almost too easy. Like it's just about being a good human being. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, it's, it's a very, yeah, it's not easy, but it's, um, if you have the right mindset, I think, you know, it makes it a lot easier, I think, in some. What's the, what's the most difficult part about it? Like when, when you said that it's not easy, like what is the difficult part of the job? Difficult part of the job. Um, so I'll, I'll give maybe two, I'll give maybe two answers here. I think, in the previous uh, way that we did sales, um, the very traditional outbound method, um, I think the most difficult part was doing the cold, the cold outreach. Probably, you know, the cold, cold calls, right? That's that always is a a common um, 
point of difficulty, right? Uh, it's it's hard to get on the phone with someone you don't know and and ask them to do things and ask them to uh, buy buy your wares, right? When they don't know who you are. And oh, I had a lot of great you know phone calls that went exceptionally. I had made actually great friends through cold calls, and I still keep up with you know a couple people here and there, um, just professionally. So I think the the difficult part now in what I'm doing is how do I build community well? Um, that's kind of something that I'm trying to learn formally. Um, so I'm going through C school, just a, a comm source community learning branch. Uh, so I'm going through C school, the career cohort as well, uh, just to kind of train myself on you know how to professionally and formally build relationships with people. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's a that's a huge aspect of this. So love this, love this. Okay, so I'm gonna take a little segue here and talk about your journey into uh, into sales. You come from a background in the U.S. Marine, is that right? Yes, correct. Yeah. And what did you learn at the U.S. Marine that you still use today at the job? Yeah, so I think the biggest piece for me is uh, discipline. Discipline is one one of those things that has carried over through the years. While I was in the Marine Corps, it's something that I learned uh, first and foremost in the Marine Corps. And then, you know, since I got out in 2016, it's been prevalent throughout. Um, has it helped me today? You know, so, well, back when I was 20, um, I realized I needed to lead a more a more disciplined life. I was, uh, you know, just kind of all over the place. I was working a couple of jobs, attempting to go to college, but I knew that I couldn't afford, you know, to go to a four-year school. My best friend was joining up. Uh, I, I realized that if I wanted to ever have a family, I was... I was going to have to make a change at some point. So it was kind of the perfect trifecta uh, that led me to the Marine Corps. Um, and I knew that the drill instructors would whip me into shape physically, mentally. I think the the why behind this is um, in the Marine Corps, there's this notion that discipline equals life, uh, uh, quite literally. Um, conversely, having no discipline uh, in you know in war, it's kind of it's a little bit taboo to talk about. It's it's kind of hard to talk about, but in war, if you don't have discipline, that means people, frankly, die. Right? Um, if you're if you're not locked in, if you're not, um, if you don't know your weapon inside and out, if you don't obey orders precisely at the time they're given, or if you operate individually um, or on emotion over fact, people can die. Um, and so it's a very real life and death um, thing. And so that's why that's. It's drilled into you uh, through boot camp. It's drilled into you through throughout your entire career in the military, and specifically in the Marine Corps in my, in my case. But translating that to life outside the military, uh, it helps you manage time effectively, um, be productive in your work. And, um, and I think there's also, I was thinking about this earlier, um, and I think there's also this aspect that it helps you live a life of respect and courtesy towards others if you lead a, dif a disciplined life practically so in there's this so an example i thought of uh was actually during boot camp there's there's a specific week towards the end of your training uh, where the drill instructors will lead you through these different um these different courses and the courses are designed based off of what former um marines who have won the medal of honor went through in order to be awarded that Medal of Honor, which is the highest uh, highest award um, that Congress can give, essentially, and and so we would reenact these these scenarios 
out of essentially respect for those who had gone before us. And so I, I specifically remember there is this one point where um, we we had to run up this really, really steep embankment. It was sandy, uh, but we had to run up with all this gear, you know, these uh, these ammo cans that were super heavy. Um, you had one in each hand, you had a pack on, you had a rifle and you had to get up. And if you didn't do it the right way, like the very specific right way, um, the drill instructor would be like, no, get back down and try this again. You didn't do it the exact way, right? And so, you know, it's it's having, you know, being precise in your daily work, um, being uh, disciplined in your daily life out of respect um, and courtesy towards those who have gone before you, essentially. So, um, so it's just really cool. And, you know, obviously, you know, I'm no, I'm not perfect when it comes to leading a dif disciplined life, um, but it's, it's a constant journey uh, every day, so. This is really interesting. So um, I, I am someone who does not consider myself disciplined. Like I, um, I don't wake up at a fixed time. I am, uh, you know, I'm always, you know, making to-do lists uh, and sometimes <laughs> yeah. not even making to-do lists and just going on about my day and, you know, kind of just cursing myself at the end because, you know, uh, I'm like, if I did what I wanted to do and followed the plan, I would have uh, done much more by the end of the day. Does it not mm. happen with you? Um, so, um, yeah, so don't, don't, don't view me as this, like this perfection of daily discipline, <laughs> right? There's, I, I, like I said, I have, um, I have my own faults and, you know, my daily habits and stuff, but, um, but, you know, it, the way I see it, if you, it starts with, I think there's, um, I can't remember his name, but there is a, uh, there's a U.S. general, I think it is, who, um, who's giving this commencement speech. And he says, if you want to be successful in life, start by making your bed. And it, is, it sounds so silly at, at first to hear that. But I think, you know, discipline in the small things leads to discipline in the larger things. And I think you, if you start small, then, you know, you, you build up over time. And so it's not, you don't just restructure your entire day uh, and, you know, going cold turkey, you just, you know, say, you wake up at 10 a.m. one day and then the next day you're like, no, I'm going to wake up at 4.30 and then I'm going to do all these things for this entire 18-hour period or whatever it is. It's a matter of doing things incrementally. And so for me, just practically speaking, uh, last year I just started waking up at 4.30 and just to get into that that mode and that that uh, that routine. And then next I had a, a friend that was looking to work out in the mornings and I was like, well, let's do it at five, you know, and wake up at 4.30 and we'll do it at five. But what I found, you know, my my intent was to essentially front load my day because at the end of my my day like you said you know i was like i was you know super bummed out because i was missing out on these things that i had wanted to accomplish but you know now it's family time and now it's dinner time and i'm hanging out with my my two-year-old right and i can't accomplish those things but if you front load them and you you know you wake up early and you start doing these little incremental things then it frees up time later so there's a lot of freedom in it i think Hmm. This is super cool. I love this. Um, yeah, I'm actually uh, feeling a little bit motivated to make up my uh, make my bed and clean up my desk area <laughs> after this call. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, you know, also, I think accountability goes a long way too. Um, having accountability with somebody. There, there's one. I think that can it can look 
very different for many people, but there's a, there's a U.S. Navy SEAL um, who I follow, Jocko. Um, he has a podcast. You know, he's kind of built up his brand around personal discipline and fitness and health and things like that. But on his Twitter feed, he he takes a photo of his watch every day at 4.30 a.m. And that's kind of his accountability to himself, I think. And he posts wow. it on Twitter. So, you know, it's, you know, that's a little bit public, fa- too public facing for me. But, I, you know, there's different accountability things that you can do to kind of keep your mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. And again, yeah. just disclaimer, I'm, I'm not perfect by any means. You know, it's definitely a journey, but, you know, it's just, um, yeah, it's a journey. So, <laughs> sure. Yeah. I think um, they were very high up for most of us, but yeah, love it. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So uh, after after U.S. Marine, you worked as a Starbucks store manager. Is there something from that experience that also helps you today? Yeah. So I can think of two two big things that I've taken with me from that experience. Most directly, I began to understand sales targets at Starbucks. It is it's a money machine, right? It's a it's a huge corporation. You know, they're you know they're doing billions of dollars annually. It's it's wild. It's a it's a huge machine. Uh, but you know, at the at the store level, you have sales targets, and so you really learn what it means to um, to hit those targets and what it means if you don't hit those targets, and all the things that you need to do as a leader to get your store to the point where it can hit those targets. There's so many inventory and staffing aspects and so many different things that go into getting to that point where you can actually make those sales. Um, there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. Um, second one is um, it was very much, it's a little, it's a little difficult to say this, but it was very much a lesson in leadership on what not to do. I was still a very young leader at the time, even though, you know, it's, it was 2019 to 2020, 21 or so. Um, so it was still somewhat recently, but um, it was very much a lesson in leadership. And I, I have taken away from that experience so much more of what not to do than I have what to do, uh, if you will. You know, just how I interact with my my employees, my the baristas, the supervisors, things like that. There, there's there's so many so many learning lessons for you know. It's one and, thing and that's kind of what not to do. Um, one thing I've learned not to do. Um, having a plan and and sticking with it, executing it well, not giving in to because you know you you have all these people that have separate ideas or different ideas of how to do things and coming in, you know, I just come into the store brand new and, you know, people have already been there longer than you have, you know, you're just showing you're the new guy, but you're now the leader and things that work, weeding out the things that don't work, things like that. But I think, you know, as, as weird as it sounds, just not, um, not befriending all of your, all of your employees. Uh, and I know that's, I know that's a little bit difficult to say, but it's, um, I think I was too much of a friend in some instances where I should have been more of a leader or kind of a pillar, uh, you know, stone pillar. I was kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I would give into to people um, and their wishes when it didn't really make sense. Um, and so difficult to say, but if, and when I'm ever in a leadership management position again, which is one of my goals, then I've learned a lot from that particular experience so <laughs> yeah this this makes sense and thank you for being so frank with us right now and 
I, I can understand how it can be difficult and almost counterintuitive to not be friends and be a lead act like a leader, but but also why it's very important to the business's success. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because I, I, the reason I think that is because it can. Um, at some points, it can kind of muddy the waters. You know, someone might say, well, you were friendly to me in this. Why are you being kind of the iron fist now? Why are you taking this hard stance now if we were, you know, friends in this area? So, um, so yeah, that's what, uh, that's why I think it kind of muddies the waters. But, um, and, you know, there's a lot of grace to be, to be had in those situations. You know, there's, um, it's not all just one way or another. It's not black and white. It's very much gray areas. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, For sure. Yeah. Um, now, tell me, tell me how you went from Starbucks store manager to this job at Comsor. How did he get it? Yeah. So, um, so I first, I was first given my own Starbucks store in May of two thousand, uh, May two, May twenty twenty. Um, so that was right at the peak of the. I can't say peak, but it was right kind of towards the beginning of uh, the pandemic and. And it's when everybody didn't know what was going on and nobody knew how to handle things. And uh, it was just a really difficult time. And that translated into uh, my role where I was learning how to be uh, a, you know, a store leader, essentially. And I was trying to figure out that job. And then all of a sudden, I'm trying to figure out how to work with half of my staff because, you know, half of them had to leave that morning. And I found out they had to leave that morning because they had uh, they were exposed to COVID. Right. And so it was just, it was a very, very messy uh, summer for me. It was very difficult. Um, God, man, it was so difficult. Just working super long hours, having to cover different shifts. And, you know, I, the, the entire time you're thinking, man, this is just coffee. Like, this is just coffee. And here I am, you know, putting in these crazy, crazy hours, right? But uh, so that, so what kind of led me to that was, you know, I think, I think COVID had a lot to do with it. Um, I was basically pushed to my limits, um, uh, just in being naive and new to the role. Um, uh, there were a lot of things that I, I messed up on and it caught up with me at Starbucks and, um, I wasn't fully staffed a lot of the times. And so it just, it took a huge toll on me. And I think, I think it was September, sometime in September, I, um, I had finally gotten my first weekend away, like full weekend, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday away with my wife. And we just took like, you know, a little short vacation, um, got an Airbnb and, uh, I was like, I cannot physically or mentally do this anymore. And at the time, um, I had been, um, uh, I'd been pretty fascinated with the idea of remote work. I had, um, I'd, I'd heard about this company called Scott's Cheap Flights uh, back when I was in college, uh, a couple of years prior to that. And I was fascinated because I discovered that this company was fully remote. They didn't have a headquarters. And I know this is like, this is, you know, 2017, 2018. I know so many people were working, working remote at that point, but it was like this brand new concept to me. And I was like, there's no way, like how in the world do they not have a headquarters? And so it began to fascinate me. And I kind of followed this company and I began to think, you know, that means that there's got to be a lot of other companies out there that are um, that are like this. And and so I, I began to look. I began to join. Um, uh, just look at, looking online, I discovered these online communities. I found one uh, called Remote First. I joined the Remote First community, and um, I basically just put myself out there. I was like, Hey, I'm a former Marine 
current Starbucks store manager. I don't really know where I fit in or if I fit in at all to the world of remote work. And is there a place for me? And this community kind of came around me and was like, hey, this is where you fit in. It's not all just technical. It's not all just backend, you know, developers. There's a lot of people facing roles. I was like, oh, this is awesome. And what, Wait, so as a they basically note, help you, uh, sorry to interrupt, but uh, what yeah. you're saying is you told them that you don't know what you want to do and how you fit, you can fit in in the business. And they helped you understand what roles you can pursue. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And as a side note, one one interesting thing was that they actually created an entirely separate channel for me in that Slack workspace, which was and not, not just for me, but it was for people kind of like me, which was, uh, I think it was something like remote explorers. And it was for people that didn't really know how they fit in, but knew they kind of wanted, wanted to work in a remote setting. And uh, so that was really cool. And there's a lot of cool conversations that happened in there. But um, but yeah, it was just this this putting myself out there. Uh, this is who I am. This is kind of where I want to be. Is is there a chance that I can fit in here? And um, so I, I you know I was having those in those discussions, but in the meantime, I was just cruising through the job channel, the job postings, and I was applying for every people facing job that I could find. Uh, and um, I came across one which was uh, I think it was a community success manager role. And I applied for it, which was at Comsor. It was posted by Katrina at Comsor. I applied for it, and then um, I just let I replied in the thread, and I was like, "Hey, just letting you know, I applied for this." And uh, um, you know, she was like, "Hey, we'd love to chat." And I was like, "Oh, great, that's awesome. Let's have a Zoom call." And uh, so that's when I first met Mac and Katrina. Um, that was September 2020, and um, it, and I remember the conversation so well. I think it, it was really interesting because uh, Mac was like, hey, I think we're looking for somebody who's kind of been in this role before, um, but would you be interested in doing sales? Like, we'd love to have you on board, but perhaps in a sales role. And I was like, sure, let's do it kind of thing. And uh, and so um, so kind of contingent upon me be, being hired was uh, for me to go through uh, Flock J, which was uh, an SDR boot camp. Um, so mm-hmm. they said, you know, for the next couple of months, we want you to go through this course, um, you know, learn how to be in sale in tech sales. Um, and then upon you graduate, graduating, then we'll, uh, we'll send you an offer kind of thing. And I was like, man, it sounds great. It was, <laughs> it was perfect timing. So I was working, you know, I was doing full-time uh, at Starbucks. And then in the night, I would, at nighttime, I would come home and um, jump on to class for three hours a night. Um, during the week. And uh, so it was a lot, it was a lot of the time, but it was so worth it. Um, and then I started, uh, so that was September, 2020, went through the class. And then January of 21 is when I started at Comsor. So that's kind of the long winded way. Through community, you know, it was, it was so cool. It was through community. Yeah. You know? It's often exactly. what a, it's what a such nice, a good like, testament. Yeah. It just circles all the way back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So I have a couple of things that I want to just dive deeper into. You said that when you found this community, Remote First, your instinct was to just put yourself out there and ask for help, basically. What yeah. what made you like, I, I, I want to understand what motivated you to do this because it can be difficult for a lot of people to just put themselves out there. I mean, I'm sure there were more people in that community who were not like you than who were like you. So what was your thinking process at the time? Yeah, I think a lot of it, to be frank, I think a lot of it was 
kind of out of, honestly, out of desperation a little bit. And my thought was, I don't really have anything to lose here by just putting myself out there. Um, I, I'm not going to ever meet these people, most likely in person. And so I just want to put myself out there and, um, you know, take take a risk and kind of go out and go out on a limb here to kind of get to the fruit, if you will. So I, I think a lot of it came out of the situation that I was currently in and where I wanted, where I didn't want to be. But yeah, that's that's kind of my encouragement to to people that are in this situation is it does not hurt one bit to put yourself out there um, to, to climb out into that limb. That's where the fruit is, right? You got to kind of <laughs> climb out into the limb, uh, take a little bit of a risk, but um, it could be worth it. You know, if not, then maybe you build some relationships in that community or what, but um, yeah, that's kind of my, my thoughts there. So. Yeah. This is very interesting because I'm sure like this attitude of putting yourself out there and taking that little bit of risk and not being afraid of it, it must also serve you in your sales career when you reach out, cold reach out to people and um, you're like putting yourself out there. Yeah, that's, um, that, that does really, that does actually tie in a lot. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. And it's, yeah, you, you put yourself out there. Um, and if it works, then excellent. If it doesn't, then, you know, chances are people aren't going to remember that, that interaction. Uh, you know, right. And, <laughs> but yeah, just taking the risk, uh, putting yourself out there. It never hurts. Mm -hmm. It's always, I think yeah. it's always worth it. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the second thing that I want to ask you was, do you remember what they taught you at block J like maybe the curriculum? Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of it was, um, it's just very, very fundamental um, uh, SDR skills. Um, a lot of it was how to, uh, there's, there's an, a software portion of it. You know, here's a typical tech stack that sales teams use um, in tech companies. Here's how to operate them. Just a very basic level. Um, a lot of what we did, a lot of what we did was, um uh, role-playing and practice. We, I think I spent probably half of that three month class in role-playing sessions, uh, with, with people, um, just in breakout rooms talking about, you know, how to handle objections. We would, you know, um, pretend to be a prospect, you know, we'd play, we'd, we'd play it easy on people. Then we'd play it really difficult on people and just be an impossible prospect on the phone. Right. Um, so it, it gave, it gave a lot of, uh, um, it made room for a lot of growth there. Um, yeah, so it's just very, very yeah. fundamental objection handling, uh, things like that. So I love this, like this, especially the part where you said that almost half of it was this role playing and you're actually, uh, you know, it's not just education, it's you're applying what you're learning and that's what actually counts. Yeah. Practical application. It's huge. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> so. That's amazing. Okay, and, and did it feel intimidating in the beginning when you were brought on in this role at Comsar and you had to sell to all of these industry leaders in a in a completely new industry that you weren't really familiar with? Yeah, it was very difficult. And I, I think it was difficult for a couple of reasons. The first one being that I was in a full cycle, full cycle sales role. And so just kind of handling the, the, the first initial touch all the way to the closing. That was very new for me. That was a brand new process. I never operated in something like that before. Um, and then secondly, more towards the, the industry, there's, I, I found that so many people have their own interpretations of what community actually means. 
And so a lot of it was educating myself and, um, and actually, you know, as, as I educated myself, it was pouring into others and educating others on those, those calls as well. So a lot of them ended up just being, you know, just a lot of discovery calls, a lot of education calls, um, talking about the space, talking about the industry. Um, but yeah, it was difficult because you're selling a product that does, um, that operates in a certain way under a certain umbrella or perspective of how we define community. And then here comes somebody who has a totally different definition of community and they, they want other things that you haven't even thought about things that aren't even in the platform. Right. Um, so yeah, it was, it was very difficult for a couple of reasons. Mm -hmm. And how do you, how do you deal with these situations when you feel intimidated or like maybe some imposter syndrome? Um, yeah, it's never, it's never, um, it's never a bad thing to be a learner. Um, I think a lot of people can shy away from asking questions and just uh, being afraid to look stupid in a call, right? Um, there were several instances where, you know, some, I would get on with more of like a technical community manager and they're talking technical jargon that I don't, I'm not even close to understanding. And uh, so a, a lot of times I'd just be like, I'm sorry, can you actually just explain that? Like, like I'm five, you know, kind of like the Reddit thing. Can you explain like I'm five, uh, what you're talking about? I'm really just trying to learn here. Um, I want to, you know, if it makes sense, you know, then we can proceed. But if not, then I really want to understand where you're coming from so that, you know, we can halt this if it doesn't make sense, right? And we, we don't have to waste everybody's time. But um, don't, shy away, don't shy away from from being a learner. Don't be afraid to ask stupid questions, I think, is, is key. So, mm -hmm. Love this advice. Okay, then now I want to talk about the future of community net sales that you were saying. So you mm -hmm. mentioned earlier that at ComSore, you used to have a traditional sales method, but then at your last offsite, you decided, realized that you needed to approach sales with a more community-led mindset. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what is the, um, I guess, the main difference there between the two approaches? Yeah, so um, I've kind of coined my own uh, my own phrasing here. Um, and that's just gonna, kind of been my mantra, something that I go back to when I'm operating in this new method, but essentially it's kind of old worldish founding. It's got, uh, but basically so value now, like SOW, sowing value now, and then reaping revenue later. Um, and so just the, that mindset of, I am here to provide you value. I'm here to elevate you in your role. If revenue comes from that later on, amazing I'm, I'm i'm stoked and it's a win-win for both of us you know you you get a product that that helps you in your role you know revenue on our side it's a win-win and we both get a great relationship so it's kind of like a win-win-win um but that's the that's the thing that i i keep coming back to in my own mind is i'm sowing value now reaping value uh reaping revenue later so mm -hmm. kind of like an agrarian type of analogy <laughs> <laughs> this is this is very interesting. Now, in the episode that we did with Mac, he said that it's, you know, traditionally the sales method has been a lot of, do you want to buy? 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 And you mm. go to every person in the community and one out of 10 may buy, but then it's not a good way. And community-led, you're basically waiting for the person to be ready to buy. And then the sales process is you nudging them along. Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, community does lead to sales, but you shouldn't be selling directly through community. It shouldn't be 
it shouldn't be there for sales. It, you don't prospect into your community, but like you said, it's relationship first. And as I'm building this relationship with this person, this organic relationship, if they have a need, then I'm right there, right? If they have a need for a certain software or even a resource or like, um, you know, something that could essentially elevate them in their role again, then I'm there and I'm ready to provide that for them. And it's, you know, and it, it just makes the the relationship, the selling relationship that much more um, approachable, what's the word? Um, amicable, I guess would be the word, so. Mm-hmm. So uh, like, it seems like a really long process, this community-led sales method. I mean, maybe you have a first touch point and then what has been the longest, you know, since the first touch point that a person has actually made a sales decision? Um, I'm trying to think of a specific example. So I can think of a couple that it's taken a couple years even. Okay. Um, and uh, it's it's just you know, you, you have a first conversation, you know, maybe, um, at one point and then, you know, it never really ends up going somewhere, but eventually a couple of years down the road they're you know, at this point, you're close friends, you have a professional relationship. You might've partnered in a couple of ways, might've done some events in some ways. Um, and it's been a couple of years, you know, that's probably like the furthest, but what it like, it's such a organic just a very pure way to to go about it. But you're right, it is very much a long game. Um, so it does, I think it does take a lot of patience. And there's and there's um, you know, we're yeah, we're still learning. I'm still learning a lot about this. So there's a lot of a lot that I have to experience in this method. But that's that's kind of my my personal journey is to become kind of like a community-led sales expert at some point. So mm. now uh, I'm curious in this like this long game like what do you as a salesperson do to nurture that relationship yeah so um it could be um and, and this is interesting too because this is kind of where the transition from sdr to cdr kind of comes in because the you know sales development representative is focused on those selling relationships just getting to the sale getting to the yes whereas a community development relations uh, community development representative is focused on um you're kind of like a community manager in a way yeah it's it's kind of like a blending of the roles you know um but some things that you could practically do are putting on events um um podcasts like this even that could be one just ways to address and ways to reach out to the broader market your audience things like that events are a big one uh amas um even in-person events now are really cool um uh, I know some people that are doing, you know, hosting dinners uh, in their local areas. Um, so the the in-person aspect. Um, I think also, um, you know, this goes back to active listening as well. Um, remembering and understanding where people are at in their their journeys and being able to provide resources, pieces of content that help them out with where they're at. Um, and I, I think that that really helps a lot. And I think that goes a long ways for people. Is wait you remember that I'm going through this right now, or you remember that I'm doing this, or this is kind of like my initiative and you went so far as to send me this or, you know, or go out of your way to, you know, to kind of elevate me in this, this aspect. So I think that goes a long way. Um, but it's always elevating the person in the role first and foremost. So. Right. And um, yeah. So how do you remember like the things do you have 
tabs on every person that you jump on a sales call and you keep following along their journey. Yeah. Um, and so this, yeah, this is, uh, it's interesting because this, this kind of gets into, um, uh, you know, the, the Comsor product, right? The being able to understand where your people are at in their community journey, right? So there's, you know, very practically speaking, being able to put notes on people in the community and little tags on people, you know, this is what they're going through. This is a way that I interact with them. This is a way that I engage with them um, and being able to map out their journey that way. So, you know, I think there's kind of this muscle that you build over time in remembering people, their names, things like that. Um, so I think that also plays into it a lot <laughs> as well. So. <laughs> well, it sounds like a superpower to have. I mean, it's so embarrassing <laughs> when you forget someone's name and then here you are, you, you actually remembered. So in our previous call, you remembered which month of which year we actually met for the first call and or the company that I was working for at the time. I was not expecting that. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, uh, you know, putting those things in the back of your mind, you know, keeping those, keeping those handy because, uh, well, yeah, it's just, you know, you want, you want to, you want to have a good relationship with someone. So all about elevating the people in their role. That's what it's all about. So. Incredible. <laughs> okay. Now uh, I want to ask for your advice for people who may want to get into such a role and also, what has inspired you? So tell me, you, you recently started the Veterans in Sales community. What do more veterans need to know about entering the sales industry? I think that your skills do translate, no matter what you think. Your, your skills do translate as much as you think they might. Uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of roles in the military that are um, only for being in the military, you know, like, uh, you know, carrying a rifle, being an infantryman uh, or being a tank, uh, tank commander or whatever it is, artillery, right? You're no one's shooting artillery in the civilian <laughs> world. Right. But there, there are a lot of things that you learn in, in shooting artillery that, that translate to the civilian world, like how to, how to manage a team, you know, the, the gun wouldn't fire if you didn't have everybody doing everything at the right time at the, and the right process. Right. So there's, there's a lot of things that, that are underlying. And I think a lot of veterans don't really realize that they do translate very, very well. And they are, in my opinion, they are highly sought after, you know, those types of uh, skills are sought after. So hmm. this is very interesting. And what do you admire about, like, tell me somebody, I don't know, whose book you've read and what do you admire about that person? Yeah. So Let's see. One of the most recent ones I, I've read is the biography on Dwight Eisenhower, the president we had in the U.S. back in the uh, 40s and 50s. He was a um, military general as well in the Army. Incredible leader. Just um, and, I, and I, the reason I, I'm such a fan of him is uh, I very much align with his um how he handles himself, like his very disposition as a person is very calm, collected, and that's who I try to be, um, but very resolved in, in what you believe for, uh, in what you believe and standing for. So I think, I think Eisenhower is a, a big, um, a big figure in my life that I, I like to, to model. So amazing. Love it. <laughs> okay. And one more question for you. You mentioned in our previous call, that being teachable is one of the top things that is a quality for success. Why do you feel that way? 
Yeah, um, I think I think being teachable is is so critical for success because when you're teachable, you're putting on um, this uh, a humble attitude. Essentially, you're uh, you're understanding that there are those people that have gone before you, and that people that are doing this very very well, and, and uh, understanding that you don't know as much as you think you do, and that people out there have a lot to offer. People that have gone before you in this role or whatever role you're in. Yeah, being being teachable, having a learner learner's mindset, growth mindset. There's so much out there to to learn from, and I think you can you can really get into trouble when when you take that that rogue mentality, that individualistic mentality. And you know, I got this. Nobody knows what how to do this as well as I do. There's always something out there to learn. So, mm. when did you? Um, is there a moment in your life from when? You actually uh, learned that this was actually an important quality for success. You know, I think um, I think it was actually more of a of a process coming to that teachable conclusion. First and foremost, my dad is uh, he's he's somebody who has taught me to be teachable, um, <laughs> and so that's kind of carried over. And just having people in your life that are older, wiser, is so valuable. Um, I, I think it's, it's funny sometimes, you know, I, I have a lot of older friends, uh, you know, people that are older than myself or have more kids than I do. Right. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny sometimes to sit back and think about it, but, um, but, you know, surrounding yourself with people that know better, that have been there, have had the experiences is so valuable, but I think it's definitely been a process over time. And, uh, as you, as you humble yourself and go through those situations, um, and even situations where you don't, where you aren't teachable, you learn from that as well. And you realize, oh, wow. Yeah. I, I didn't listen to anybody there. I was only listening to myself, you know, and, <laughs> and this is where it got me uh, and it's not a good place. Right. Those types of lessons are, are important as well. So. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. I 100% agree with you there, Ben. I love this advice. All right. So it's time for the final round of the interview led by Fuge. <laughs> the rapid fire round where he has prepared some questions to ask you. Oh, perfect. Thanks, Sarah, Sage. You <laughs> hey, Ben, how are you? I'm good, Piyush. I'm good. <laughs> I'm ready for this, I think. Okay. You're ready. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you five questions. It'll be short. I won't be asking any follow-up questions. And the first question is, what's a fun fact about you that is not covered on your LinkedIn profile? Oh, my goodness. Um... Oh, I'm so bummed because I just put this on my LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, uh, there's a, um, there is a, an artist on Spotify who I listen to a lot. Um, Goth babe. He's got a, he's, he's kind of like a grunge surf artist, got a very unique style. I think he's at like two and a half million monthly listeners. And last year I was in the top 0.05% of listeners, which I think is hopefully my math is right here, but I think is like, top 100 100 or so listeners so i spent a lot of time listening to <laughs> super random but that's that's it's it's that's like great, that's great. Rounds, <laughs> yeah <laughs> nothing back to who you were five years ago what do you think that version of you would be the most proud of who you are today oh man um five years ago um I think where I'm at with with family life, you know, it's I've always been looking for I've always looked forward to having 
having kids, having a family, right? And so, you know, now I've got a two-year-old, I'm married to my wife, and I think, uh, you know, living the family life and being a family man is probably the uh, the thing I would probably admire most five years ago, so. That's good. Now, how do you motivate yourself when you feel stuck? Mm, um. You know, a lot of it, I think it actually goes back to that discipline aspect. I think one of the the biggest things that I learned in the Marine Corps was you can do it no matter what you think, essentially. Uh, your mind is power, more powerful than your body, so keep going, essentially. Um, so there, I, I can't say that there's a, a specific thing like going on a walk or going on a run or a workout or um, something like that, but I think it's just a matter of knowing that I'm able to to push through because I've done it before, um, that's kind of what keeps me going. That's what motivates me, essentially. So. And what's the next big thing that you're trying to achieve in your career? So I, I did I did mention it just in the, the past hour or so, but um, I'm really kind of on this mission to become a community-led sales expert. It's I think it's a, a newer concept that I think people are latching onto, and I think there's a, a great need for relationship building, um, authentic relationship building in sales. And so I want to do that um, very well. And I want to be um, uh, a thought leader on this. I want to be, you know, somebody who's kind of pioneering this essentially. So. Well, all the very best. And finally, what advice would you give to someone who is starting their first community job tomorrow? Oh man, starting their first community job tomorrow. It would definitely be, it's so cliche, but man, invest in those relationships. Like just reach out to people, put yourself out there, start conversations with people. I think it, it will pay dividends in, in the years to come with the, the relationships that you build now. It might feel uncomfortable at the time, but start reaching out to people, have the courage to do it. You know, even if it's uh, a cold outreach, I, I saw something on LinkedIn the other day that was. Um, you know, reach out to, I think it was actually Max Pete. He's reaching out to four or five people through cold, cold outreach a week, just, um, you know, not in a salesman or anything, but just for personal growth and, um, you know, do that if you need to. I think that's, I think there's so much to be learned from putting yourself out there, by and just building those relationships. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. So thanks, Ben. That brings us to the end of this round. Over to you, Natesh. And uh, this is also the end of this interview, man. It has been such a pleasure talking to you and learning about your journey. I mean, I said it before, but uh, I actually do feel that your story and where you've come from, where you are today, it's like a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> In some ways, it's felt like that. In some ways, it's felt like that. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It's been so insightful yeah. learning from you about community-led sales and how you made the pivot from U.S. Marine to what you are doing today. I think this interview is going to be super helpful for anybody listening. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm super excited to have done this. Again, my first experience doing something like this, so it's been a really good one. You, you both have given me a lot of confidence in doing this perhaps more. So thank you for- you Definitely awesome do it more often. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you for an awesome show. Yeah.